Ion 2020, episode 131. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, your host of Ion 2020, the place that you come to daily, Monday through Friday, for the news, the related events, all the things that are going on with the election and the things that are uh, going on across the country with the candidates, their issues, and so forth. I take this from a libertarian perspective. You guys know that, and I appreciate you coming back and listening every single day. It is Independence Day, and you guys know what that means. Fireworks, hot dogs, all the, all the fixings. And parties galore, of course, on a Thursday and Monday through Friday. Even if I'm on vacation, I am still coming to your earbuds or your car stereo or wherever you're at. So, uh, but I appreciate you taking the time to listen today. Or if you're listening outside of the Fourth of July, that's fine as well. A lot of people listen to the show a couple of days afterwards. But I wanted to do a show about the Fourth of July. To be honest with you, and the reason why is because. We're taught a lot of things in school about the reason why the American Revolution happened. And, you know, you hear about like this when you're a kid, you always hear about the Stamp Acts, the Townsend Acts, the Boston Massacre, the Tea Act, and the Boston Tea Party, and all that stuff. Those are like the normal things that you're going to hear are the reasons for. That's great. Couldn't it just be on a Friday? Can't they just make it the fifth? Because uh, everyone's got to go back to work tomorrow. I know. I actually took the day off, so I'll be, I will not be working tomorrow, but I will be working on the show because I just make sure that I bring you guys a show Monday through Friday, no matter what holidays, I'll be on vacation and I'll go ahead and produce five shows for you for the whole week so that I don't miss a beat because that's the way I do it. I just make sure that um, I am working hard so that you guys can have that information that you need, the Declaration of Independence and the reason why the American Revolution happened, so... Uh, it's important that you guys know the exact reasons why, and that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today. First of all, though, if you can, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Uh, if it's your first time listening, subscribe to the show because then you'll be able to hear what I got going on tomorrow. Also, I have multiple episodes before this. I go back seven months now, so you can go ahead and listen to seven months worth of shows and get yourself caught up on all the shows, all of the Ion 2020 shows, so... Uh, go ahead and check out some of those shows as well, and then if you really like what you hear, share it with a friend. And the reason why I say this is because we want to grow the group of people that are listening to this show so that we can get the message out there. Uh, we want to talk about liberty every single day, and you know that's what I do. I talk about liberty constantly, making sure that you guys have the ideas of what these candidates are talking about and how that's going to affect your liberty. And we want to make sure that all of your socialist friends, all of your conservative friends, even all of your libertarian friends are listening to this show on a daily basis. So go ahead and share it with your friends. And then if you have the time, give me a five-star rating and review. It's not that hard. Uh, you just have to scroll down onto your 
Apple Podcasts app or whatever app you're listening to. You can give me a five-star rating. Give me a quick review. I like to read those things on the show as well. Uh, So go ahead and do that. I've had several uh, people that have given me reviews, and I do go ahead and read those on the show. I've even had a bad review. Believe it or not, yeah, I get bad reviews too. One of the guys that I was, uh, I was reading the, and I did not read that on the show yet, but I can't remember exactly what it says. I was actually going through all the podcatchers that pick up my show. I was just going through a lot of those, and I was just kind of seeing what people were saying or if there was any reviews on there, and I found one that was a bad review, and it was probably done about five months ago when I was kind of new at the show, and he complained and said that I thought it was um, propaganda when the government schools talk about global warming. So what he said is that I basically, I guess he was thinking that I deny global warming or I deny climate change. And what I really mean when I say that is that the way that the argument is presented to the children seems like propaganda to me because it's always taught in a way that gets the kids scared, that gets the kids uh, worried, that there's going to be catastrophic events constantly. So when this person said that they stopped listening to my show because I was saying that it was propaganda for the kids to be taught about climate change, what I was really, what I really mean by that is whether climate change is real or not. Everybody, I don't know, all the libertarians and scientists and everyone else, there's always arguments back and forth on that thing, right? On that particular issue. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to pretend that I know anything. I do take a lot of scientists at their word. And I think that there's probably good facts on both sides of the argument. It seems to me when I listen to the facts, though, it seems like there's more facts on the side that yes, there is global warming going on. The thing that drives me crazy, though, is the way that global warming is taught in the schools as if it's going to be a huge catastrophe, that there's going to be terrible, you know, destruction of the world, that the sea level is going to rise by 30 feet, and that everything's going to be terrible, and there's going to be storms, and civilization is going to end. Because I don't think that that is the case. I just don't think that we're going to have to worry too much about all the catastrophes and stuff. And the reason why is because if there is global warming, then what it really boils down to is the northern hemisphere is going to be a lot warmer. And that's going to cause the Arctic to start flourishing with trees and you're going to be able to grow crops there in the whole nine yards. So I don't know that if there is global warming per se, human-caused global warming, I don't think it's going to be catastrophic. I don't think that we're going to have too much to worry about. But they, the global warming alarmists, they tell you that in order to make their agenda happen, push their agenda forward to get you to start thinking that, hey, maybe the fossil fuels are bad. And obviously, we want the world to kind of stay and remain similar to what it is now. That's what they say. I just don't think that it's just going to, I just don't think it's going to be catastrophic. And that's the point that I'm getting at. So... You do have, if there is global warming, and I, I, I tend to believe that there is global warming and that is human cause. I mean, if you have more CO2 in the atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas, and if there's more methane in the atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas, if there's more things in the atmosphere caused by humans that are greenhouse gases, then you're going to have warming slightly. So 
But I don't think it's going to be like where it's going to be intolerable for us to live in this world. Now, they always, the global warming alarmists, they always talk about Venus versus the Earth. There is 200,000 times more greenhouse gases on Venus than there is on Earth. And they're talking about the, the percentage of greenhouse gases going up by like 20% on Earth is what they're saying. 20%. That's it. So, a f- I mean, that's very minute amounts between now and the end of the century. So I don't think that that's going to be catastrophic. I just don't believe that. And I think when my kids are taught that, they come home freaking out, screaming and crying, thinking that the world's going to end. You get kids that are completely voting for more government, more control of the earth by like an organization like the United Nations, you get that when you have kids freaking out over global warming because the reason, the thing is, is how does one country fix it? America can't fix it on its own. China can't fix it on its own. You need international bodies to get together to fix it. So then you have, then you end up turning more control over to those bodies. And that's what I think that there's an agenda behind is the idea of making a one world government and so forth that's that's more likely the scenario to me that that's why there's a lot of global warming alarmists that are out there is because there's some kind of agenda behind it i don't know what it is i don't like to have conspiracy theories i don't usually talk about conspiracy theories because i don't usually believe conspiracy theories but i do think that there's definitely some kind of globalism behind that particular issue because there is only one thing that can, only one way to fix it, in that, you know, if you're going to depend on government to fix it, and that way is for all the governments to get together in some way to form some kind of consensus on what they're going to do about it. But like I said, I'm not an alarmist. I don't think that there's much to be alarmed about. I mean, look at Russia, look at Canada. All they're going to be, do is be able to do is grow more and more food because most of the land mass on Earth is where? Northern Hemisphere, right? One of the things you might have to worry about, though, is the ocean acidification. I don't know too much about that particular issue either, so that's something we kind of got to look into as well. I have heard that there has been times in the, on Earth where there's been way more CO2 in the atmosphere, though, than there is right now, and the earth was just fine at that point as well. So humans, beings can adapt, the animals can adapt as well, but anyway, I don't want to get too far, too much further into this. I apologize for going off on a rant about this. Whoever whoever it was that was listening, if you were listening, it's not that I don't believe in global warming, I don't believe in, it's not that I don't believe in, you know, the potential for global warming or the potential for climate change. Climate change does exist, whether it's natural and also human caused, I'm sure that's the case as well. And you know, it, it can't be some mass conspiracy of thousands of scientists that and and just and there's like a and there's some other ones that are that are right on the issue or whatever. I just don't think that's the case. But I don't think that it's an alarmist position. Like we're gonna have tidal waves and major hurricanes and everything else. I don't think that that's the case. So moving forward onto your 4th of July episode. So what I wanted to talk about today being the 4th of July was the Declaration of Independence. And the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because 
a lot of us probably have not read the Declaration of Independence in its whole, in its entirety. And there was a lot of things that were going on at that time in 1776 where they were referring to their king as a dictator, as a, you know, as a, as a tyrant and so forth. And you wonder why. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, well, they had 1% tax put on them. So that's why they were so upset. And look at today, we have 40% taxes on some people. And, you know, if they, if they founders saw that, they would be disappointed. They would, you know, they would be turning in their graves right now and so forth. So there was a lot more going on, though, at the time than just like the Stamp Act, the Townsend Acts, the Boston Massacre and so forth. And it's all kind of laid out in the Declaration of Independence. And they talk about it in the Declaration of exactly why and why they wanted to leave British rule and why they wanted to have independence from Britain. So that's what I want to do is I just kind of wanted to read today the Declaration of Independence to you and let you guys know what, I mean, at the end, kind of what I think about it as well. Because why would a group of people in the colonies, right, why would they decide that they're going to declare their independence a lot of people say that there was a lot of monetary reasons behind a lot of the founders and what they were trying to do. But I, th- I do think that these guys were truly believers in like the Lockean idea of, you know, in the, in the different um, principles of, li- of classical liberal- liberal- liberalism. I think that they really did believe those things, most of those people. I mean, if you read, I've read the... Um, biography of John Adams and he was a true believer in liberty. I mean he was from the Boston area and he was one of the leaders in Boston that was he was actually a signer of the, of the Declaration of Independence as well. But these people they seem like they were truly belie- true believers in these things and they were also, you know, very much involved in trying to disassociate the colonies with the crown. Now, John Adams was much further along than a lot of the people. I mean, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out ways to come to terms with what the what the king was doing and also petition to have these grievances addressed. They really were. And a lot of a lot of the colonists, if you look at the colonists, most of them were not on board with succession. They were not on board with the idea of declaring the independence. There was a lot of people that were, I mean, I would say probably 25% of the people were kind of like, yes, I'm on board. 25% were like, "Eh, no, we're we're loyalists. And then the other 50% were just kind of the same way it is today, where 50% were just like, yeah, I'll just take it one way or the other. It doesn't really matter to me. That's how most of them were, I'm sure. Um, But you did have a lot of the money elite those people that were the larger landowners and so forth in the colonies, a lot of those people were ended up being found, some of the founding fathers, but there was plenty of landowners that were also um, loyalists as well. So, like, I've actually looked at some of the... I, whenever I'm out traveling with my family and we go to different places around North and South Carolina, like, the Georgia and South Carolina were mostly not on board with the revolution in some ways, right? Like the the Brit the British military, the Redcoats were going around north northern Georgia and South Carolina looking for people to fight against the people that were um 
Patriots in North Carolina. And one of the big battles was like the Battle of Kings Mountain at the time. And it was basically U.S. or not United States, obviously, because the United States doesn't exist, but um, colonists from Georgia and South Carolina that were loyalists that were fighting against the Patriots of North Carolina, uh, Virginia, and Western Virginia as well. So a lot of the fighting that happened was loyalists as well as patriots going as it wasn't just the british army i mean the and if you look at the amount of people that were fighting in some of these battles it was like you know 500 people fighting in a battle you know 500 versus 500 200 this army of 250 came together with this army of 250 how can you even call 250 people an army right but in the in the history books they refer to them was an as armies, when it really was just small groups of people that were fighting. They were just trying to get the British out of here. That's what they were trying to do. So, um, we're taught a lot of this stuff in history class, and I remember growing up as a kid, like, you think that it was just some big battle, and all the, like, there was no loyalists, it was just a few, but they were, like, the bad guys or something. Like, that's just the way you're taught in history class about this particular issue. Um, and you're taught basically, you know, the, the Boston Tea Party and the taxes that were put on and so forth. But the Declaration of Independence does, it really gets into the minute details of why the people wanted to succeed. The people that were looking to declare their independence, why they wanted the British, the British Redcoats gone. Why they wanted the, why they wanted to separate themselves from Britain altogether. So, let me go ahead and read the entire Declaration of Independence to you, because I think it's a very important document in the history of man, in the sense that it does lay out a lot of, you know, in the very beginning, it lays out a lot of things that we still talk about today as the reasons why we should have self-government and self-rule as Americans, but also, you know, it can be applied today as well to ourselves in the sense that we do have an overbearing government and at what time is it right for the people to say you know what no more no more so let me hop right into the declaration of independence now in congress july 4th 1776 the unanimous declaration of the 13 united states of america when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the natures of God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind require that they should declare the cause which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, or to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown 
that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having indirect objection the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused to assent to laws the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governments to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation until his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the repository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing the manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise, the state remaining in the meantime exposed to all dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of the states for that purpose obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing to assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers. He has made judges dependent upon his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount of payment of their salaries. He has erected to erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislators. He has affected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mark, mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, 
for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefit of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into the colonies. For taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments. For suspending our own legislators and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstance of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens taken captive on the high seas to bear arms against their country, to become their executioners of their friends, brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages whose known rule of warfare is an indistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose charter is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant, is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislator to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connection and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consignuity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind enemies in war, and peace friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assemble appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. Do, in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states that they are absolved from the allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain 
is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine province, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. So then it goes through the names of all of the different people that signed the Declaration of Independence. John Hancock obviously being the largest of those signatures. That's why when you sign something, you say, give me old John Hancock, boy. And uh, you got Samuel Adams on there, John Adams, a bunch of different notable people. Thomas Jefferson was on there uh, from Virginia. You have, uh, or that was from Virginia, Uh, Benjamin Harrison, Benjamin Franklin was on there as well. So, yeah, quite a few people, a lot of people that you've probably heard of before. Um, So, one of the things at the very end that I was, was really interested to see is that they do talk about, as a group, they're talking about the independent states, right? That each state is now independent. They're not talking about, they, like when they say these United States, the United States, so it says, we therefore the representatives of the United States of America. United and united is um, not capitalized. So they're just saying United, and then they're saying States of America. So the States are as capitalized, of America is capitalized, but not United. So that's something that is very interesting to me, because they were not looking at it as becoming one country at that point. These were just a group of people that were the representatives from different states, the colonies. They're calling themselves now States. We're going to be our own independent states. That's what it sounds like to me. And there's multiple points in that last part where it kind of references that as well. He says that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. So they're talking about plural, free and independent states. So each state is going to be independent on its own. And it was only by, uh, you know, there was only, the only reason why they all came together was because they were going to be fighting against the crown at that point, and also to kind of initiate free trade amongst each other as well. So, and that's where you get the uh, the the predecessor to the Constitution, which was the Articles of Confederation, which were kind of just like a loosely bound, uh, as a loosely loose article that kind of just bound the states together to for trade and so forth but it was the constitution when they went and got the constitution together which kind of gave the federal government a lot more power and authority over the states but most of these states it seems to me that they were just trying to say you know what we're going to give you know a little fu to the to the king and say get the heck off our property we're going to sign this thing and say if you can't come try to fight us you know there's 13 of us here to fight if it was just massachusetts that that was just declaring their independence it wouldn't have been such a it wouldn't have been as loud to the crown it wouldn't have you know had as much impact but since it was all 13 of the colonies getting together and saying that then that was a whole different story um so one of the things that i thought was really interesting in here as well is when they're talking about some of the reasons why 
that they were declaring their independence. Because they did say that. It says it in there that if you're going to declare your independence, you should give a reason why. And they start listing all their grievances. They start just going through them. And a few of them that I thought were interesting that kind of resonate with modern day is this. It says, he has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out of their substance. That, to me, is talking about the bureaucracy, right? That the king was erecting a multitude of new offices. Well, if you look at the president of the United States nowadays, I mean, all the different people that he has working under him, he has a secretary of this, he has a secretary of that, he has the you know, just all kinds, Secretary of Education, he has all kinds of bureaucracies underneath him. And then he has all the bureaucrats below them as well. So there's, he has sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out of their substance. That is exactly how it is today. Now, listen to this one again. He says, it also says, he has kept among us in times of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislators. If you look at today, there we have a standing army, obviously, right? And uh, whether you need one or not, we do have one. But to them, that was something that was not tolerable. To have. I mean, that's why they decided to declare their independence. That's one of the reasons. He has kept among us in time of peace, standing armies without the consent of our legislators. And if you look at the military now, totally outside of the legislators, totally outside of the Congress, who has the right to declare war, the president has, you know, now has people going into Syria, has people in Libya, we have military just all over the world. That would not have stand, that was intolerable at the times for these people, and that's what we have today. He has combined with others to subject us to jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. Look at the way that the world is today. We have the United Nations that's basically, you know, putting rules and regulations upon us. We have foreign foreign entities kind of telling us what to do. And we have that today. But that's something that they thought was intolerable as well. For quartering large bodies of armed troops among us. If you look at the military today, same thing. There are, I mean, it's not like they're being forced to stay in our house, but they are all over the United States, Right. And uh, they're in our neighborhoods, they're in our towns, and so forth. Um, they're in our schools. So those are things that were intolerable for the people in the, you know, in the 1700s. Why wouldn't they be intolerable for us today as well? Why aren't we demanding that of our legislators? We're just not because we've been trained to accept these things nowadays as well for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states. So that's talking about the troops as well. For protecting them by a mock trial for punishments and any murders. Look at the police officers of today, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The police officers that end up doing the things that they're doing, they're protected legally. There's legal protection for them for acting bad, for acting, you know... Outside of the realm of the law, they're able to shoot people. They're able to put people on the ground. They're able to beat people up. And they're protected through these mock trials. They're not 
They, you know, they're 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 put on paid leave, but they're not even taken into trial for the things that they do sometimes, and it's terrible. But those are things that were intolerable to the people that wrote this. But today we put up with it. For imposing taxes on us without our consent. I don't know a single person that believes that the taxes are their consent right now. Um, actually, I mean, there's people that believe that, obviously. But in my mind, it's it's not your consent because it's just the legislators up there in Washington, you know, that are making these decisions. And if you say that you have a representative, that's a person representing 100,000 other people or more sometimes as well. So it is not with our consent. For cutting off our trade with all parts of the world. I don't have to say too much more on that, but Donald Trump has imposed these tariffs on China, on Mexico, on different countries all over the world, and they're trying to cut off our trade in some ways by doing that as well. But that was intolerable to the people that wrote the Declaration of Independence, right? For depriving us, in many cases, of the benefit of trial by jury, we're slowly starting to see that wither away as well today. The trial by jury. Yes, most of the time we have that, but look at the way. Actually, we don't have that no more. Come to think of it, if you look at the way that the court system is now, you know, 95, 99% of cases are pled out. We're going to go all all in after you, and if you try to fight us, we're going to put you in prison for 10 years. You might as well take two. Just go ahead and plead guilty. So depriving us, in many cases, of the benefit of trial by jury. I'm sure that that's very similar to what they were doing back then. Is they were just trying to get people to say that they're guilty. Any way that they can. And nowadays we've institutionalized that with the plea, plea bargain system. And it's terrible. It was unacceptable to the people that wrote this. Why do we take it today? Why don't we rise, rise up and fight these things today? By demanding that the people in the public offices change these things. We should be doing that. For transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses. I don't know that that's happening obviously right now. But uh, the next one is for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province. established Establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. I think that they're referring to that as Canada. It's got to be Canada, um, the way that they're talking there. But anyway, but the main ones that I wanted to talk about was the ones I just mentioned there, and taxes, getting rid of the trial by jury, cutting off trade to the world. Like Those are things that we're dealing with now. Those are real things that we're dealing with now, and those are intolerable to the people that wrote this Declaration of Independence. They were willing to go to war over that stuff, right? Why aren't we willing to hold our legislators accountable? Because those are things that were intolerable to them at the time. But we're just accustomed to those things nowadays. And we need to realize, on the 4th of July especially, we need to come back to that idea and say, you know what, we're not going to put up with this stuff anymore. We're going to go out there and we're going to talk about these things to the people that we know. We're going to tell people about how the system that we have today is 
a system that would have been intolerable back then, but it's only because we've become accustomed to it now that we agree to these things. But our friends, if we, if we talk to our friends about liberty, guys, if we talk to them about liberty, they'll understand that. We have a message that says peace, a message of peace, a message of harmony among men. We have that, and I think that we can get this message out to them. But if, I, if, we're, able, if we're just able to get out there and just get people to start voting for people that are more focused on liberty, the Rand Pauls, the Justin Amashas, Get those types of people into the local offices in your hometown. And then you can get to the point where you're able to nullify some of these federal laws that come out. But you're also able to get people that bench that we need in order to start building a coalition of people that are going to go into the federal government and dissolve some of these terrible things that are going on. Dissolve some of the multiple bureaucracies that the president is controlling. In one of these days, I'm going to do a show on how the federal government uses the bureaucracies to control the states. Because those are things that are really interesting to learn about as well. Like the money, the, the power that the money has over the states. And that the federal government uses those things in order to make sure that they do what they're told to do. So, anyway guys, happy 4th of July to you. Uh, I appreciate you listening to the show. If you like what you hear, subscribe to the show. Come on back tomorrow and uh, give me a five-star rating and review as well. And then check me out, uh, eyeontheempire.com. I'm also on Facebook. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to anchor.fm backslash ion2020. And there you can support the show and you can also send me a voice message, which is a really nice way to communicate with me. And I'll play those things on air as well. So happy 4th of July to you. Happy Independence Day. And let's go out there and declare our independence, all right? Take care and come on back tomorrow and you'll have clear vision for 2020.